Good morning. It's Thursday, October 29th. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Every year since President Trump took office, he's donated his annual presidential salary, $400,000, to the government. But a new investigation claims Trump still came out ahead. According to The Washington Post, in these four years in office, Trump's businesses raked in at least $2.5 million in taxpayer funds. The Post's David Farenthold reported this story. He's been covering the Trump family and its business interests for years now, and he won a Pulitzer Prize back in 2017. According to his investigation, from Trump's first full month as president until the present day, he visited his own properties more than 280 times. And here's the thing. Every time he's visited his properties, his businesses made money. That's because during these visits, his properties charge the government and taxpayers pay for it. Taxpayers have paid for $650 a night hotel rooms. They paid for $1,000 for one evening of drinks for White House staffers. We've even paid for the president to be served a $3 glass of water at his own property. Now, the price tags themselves aren't the issue. We've paid for past presidents' lavish meals and their travel, too. But in this case, taxpayer money is going to the Trump businesses. That's not a crime, Shamita, but it is unusual to have a president who has businesses that could directly collect money from taxpayers in this particular way. For example, in 2017, Mar-a-Lago charged taxpayers more than $7,500 for a dinner Trump had with Chinese President Xi Jinping. That's a little bit over $250 per person. For a two-day summit with Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, Mar-a-Lago billed the government $6,000 for flower arrangements, $13,700 for guest rooms, and $16,500 for food and wine. Now, these diplomatic events could take place at the White House or any location for that matter, but because they are at Trump properties, the government is paying the Trump businesses for these costs. His businesses have also made money from his campaign and fundraising committees. The Washington Post points out that while the president hasn't demanded that events be held at his properties, the GOP and campaign officials have said that holding events there means that the president is more likely to attend. And like you said, Duarte, it's not illegal for the Trump organization to accept any of these payments from the government or from his campaign. But it does call into question a campaign promise that he made in 2016 when he said that he would completely isolate himself from his businesses while in office, implying that he wouldn't profit from his position. By Farenthold's count, if you were to add up the total amount of money taxpayers and political supporters paid the Trump organization while the president has been in office, you'd get about $8.1 million. When you go to the polls, there are all these down-ballot elections you probably haven't paid much attention to, but who you elect as sheriff, prosecutor, the judges you choose, all of them impact what criminal justice looks like in your community and state. Now, there are several state ballot measures worth watching, including some that affect things like sentencing, voting, and even slavery. If you really want to change the criminal justice system, it has to happen on the local level. A story from Vox explains most of the country's 18,000 police agencies are run by towns, cities, counties, and states. 
Nearly 90% of people behind bars in the United States are being held in state-level prisons. In past shows, we've already talked about ballot measures to legalize or decriminalize marijuana. So let's talk about other notable ballot measures about criminal justice. Now, did you know in Oklahoma, if you have a nonviolent felony conviction on your record like drug charges or concealing stolen property, it can be used against you during sentencing for a future crime that's unrelated. That means you may spend more years in prison because of a previous nonviolent crime like writing bad checks or something like that. Now a ballot measure in that state would ban the practice of taking nonviolent felonies into account during sentencing for unrelated crimes. In California, there are three criminal justice proposals on the ballot. One of them would end cash bail and instead have judges do a risk assessment to decide whether a defendant should be kept in jail or released while they wait for trial. Now, advocates say this is an important step in not penalizing defendants who simply don't have the money on hand to make bail. New Jersey passed a similar law about four years ago, and it's been largely successful there. Defendants spend 40 percent less time in jail, and 90 percent of them show up at court appearances. As for other states, the Marshall Project highlights Proposal 2 on the ballot in Michigan. If passed, this measure would amend the state constitution so that unreasonable search and seizure laws would also cover electronic data and communications, This is an important measure for data privacy, and it's supported by both chambers of the Michigan legislature. Okay, let's squeeze in one last proposal that I want to talk about, which is voters in Nebraska and Utah are going to see a question on their ballots about whether to amend their state constitutions to make slavery and involuntary servitude illegal under all circumstances. Mm. Yes, this is kind of crazy, but right now... Their constitutions include language that says slavery and involuntary servitude are legal as punishment for crimes. Vox says voting to officially change that language could help put an end to prisons profiting off the labor of inmates. Relationships are suffering because of politics. NPR reports the U.S. electorate has never been more polarized. Family members aren't speaking. People are losing sleep over this. I mean, friendships that have lasted for decades are ending over this stuff. A recent Pew Research Center survey found nearly 80% of people in the U.S. have no or few friends who don't share their own political views. And a poll by the Public Religion Research Institute found 80% of Republicans think socialists took over the Democratic Party, while the same percentage of Democrats think Racist took over the Republican Party. NPR spoke to a 61-year-old steelworker who supports President Trump, and he said he's cut people out of his life, including family, who he feels were quick to judge him and brand him as racist, and that their bitterness drove him to drop those relationships. One woman said that she had to end a decades-old friendship because her friend was really cavalier about the sexual assault allegations against Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And as a sexual assault survivor herself, she said the incident revealed her friend's ethics. Tanya Israel is a clinical psychology professor. She runs workshops to bring people together who have opposing political views. You know, she gets them to talk. She says... Both sides consider their own views as being rooted in morality. To them, it's a core value. They see themselves as fair and rational and see the other side as thoughtless and irrational. But it doesn't have to be that way. Israel says relationships can overcome this. She recommends talking in person as much as possible and avoid getting sucked into conversations over social media. 
Try seeing the full complexity of people whose views you may disagree with. Anika Chabrolu may have discovered a potential antiviral treatment for COVID-19. And a lot of her research has happened in her bedroom in Frisco, Texas. She's 14 years old. 14 years old. I'm just so amazed by her talent. Last week, Chabrolu won the 3M Young Scientist Challenge. She was named America's top young scientist, and she was awarded $25,000. Chabrolu says she started her research before the pandemic, last year, when she was in eighth grade. She learned that up to 60,000 people in the United States die from the flu every year, and she wanted to do something about it. So she started researching treatments for the flu. But when the pandemic hit, she shifted her focus. And now that her research is done... She's hoping to collaborate with virologists to see whether her discovery can be made into an antiviral drug. You know, she says she wants to be a medical researcher when she grows up, but she's doing it right now. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. By the way, Shamita, happy, happy birthday. Aw, thanks, Marte. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. (laughs) 